Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers 19. And in Numbers 19, in continuation of our study, we see here in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded. Now, this ordinance of the law, what's happening is it's a custom and manner of the statute. That's how it translates in the Hebrew in verse 2. This is the custom and manner of the statute which the Lord has commanded. So remember the Lord commanded when we studied the the latter chapters of Exodus and Leviticus, how the Lord implements these laws. But now he's going to give detail on how these laws are going to uh, be implemented and not just implemented, but the reason behind it. And remember, all these things are a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord gives these details to Moses and Aaron And he says in verse 2, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You see? Now, so this red heifer, you know, it's nothing to be offered that has that nothing mangy. Nothing mangy, just like we see in the in the previous chapters in Numbers and Leviticus and even Exodus. It's not that a mangy animal was to be offered. No, it's like the cream of the crop, the best, the best offered to the Lord. And in this particular case, a red heifer without blemish, no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. <clears throat> now, all these sacrifices that, that you see a typology of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, remember our study in Leviticus and we looked at the, not just the sacrifices, but the offerings too. The lamb, the goats, the turtle doves, and then you see the offering of grain, the oil, the water, all these offerings. It's a topology of Jesus Christ and the red heifer included, the red heifer included. In verse 3, <clears throat> you shall give it to Eleazar, the priest. Now, Eleazar is the son of Aaron, the son of Aaron, so now you see that the uh, Aaron has these responsibilities, but then you see these responsibilities to the next uh, generation of righteousness. And he has, Eliezer has this responsibility. He says in verse 3 that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. Emphasis on outside the camp. Outside the camp. In verse 4, And Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. So when you see these instructions being given, you see that this red heifer is taken outside the camp, is slaughtered outside the camp, and then there's going to be blood. And then with this blood, the Eliezer, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his, with his finger and come back to the into the camp and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. So now he goes back inside the camp. Back inside the camp. In verse 5, Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. So now he goes back outside the camp where to the red heifer that's been slaughtered. And in verse 5, Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. The offal is like the dung. The dung that's still inside the intestines. Everything burned. 
In verse 6, And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet. These are the same same, uh, 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 items as we see in Leviticus 14 with the two birds and the cleansing of lepers. Do you remember our study in Leviticus? This is the exact same. Leviticus 14. Cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. And it's the cleansing for leprosy, uncleanness. And remember, when anybody is unclean, they are outside the camp. You say, wait a second, why Why are the priests unclean? Well, the priests, before starting this, before starting, I mean, I don't say this, like, you know, like it's just this, but it's before starting this, this ordinance, they're clean. But in doing these ordinances, they become unclean. Not unclean through, through like their own sin, but unclean in what they're dealing with the the topology of a Christ, uh, uh, the topology not of a, the topology of Jesus Christ coming to Jesus Christ as unclean and then having a relationship with Jesus Christ and then being unclean or, or being clean clean and being cleansed by Jesus Christ and that's what we're going to see here now it's very important when i say emphasis on outside the camp Because do you remember our Lord himself, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, Golgotha, that was outside the camp and outside the camp. He wasn't sacrificed inside the the temple grounds. He was, remember, he carried his cross outside. Then he carried his cross and he had help. That's just so beautiful when we see the scriptures, you know, when, when Jesus Christ and all of a sudden the Romans say, hey, you take this cross and he had help. That's a picture of the church, a picture of us, a people of the way, bearing one another's burdens, helping each other carry our cross. You see, we help one another because we're going to paradise that's the goal. It's not a social club. When church becomes a social club, you become blind to these things. No, it's not a social club. It's not, you know, yeah, you know, there's fellowship. You're in love with the brothers. You're in love with the sisters. And it's a beautiful family. It's fellowship of saints. But there's an objective behind it. It's not just a social club to see, you know, what's the latest sports sports scores. How's the stock market? How's work? How's business? How's this? How's that? You know, the latest gossip. No, we're a, a consecrated people. And so Jesus Christ, he's on the cross and he dies. But that's outside the camp, outside the temple grounds, Golgotha. Remember our study in the book of Matthew? And so look what we see here in the, in the, 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 the camp of the, the, Israel. But you see something is happening here where it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ in the red heifer. In verse 5, the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its height, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet. And cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Very interesting that you see wood included here in verse 6. The inclusion of wood. Does that ring a bell when you think of Golgotha? Does wood ring a bell? 
No, no, you know, the cross, the cross of our Lord. In verse 7, then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. So he's washed, and he's, he's, he, wa- he, he washes his clothes, he himself bathes his body, and then afterward he comes into the camp, and then the priest shall be unclean till evening. So until evening he's unclean, he comes into the camp. It's a temporary uncleanness for the priest where he washes and bathes, and then he comes into the camp. And the one who burns it shall wash, and the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. So now you see a picture of the priesthood actually like working. I mean, like in the previous chapters, you know, we see how the priesthood, I mean, they're, they're doing things. But now you kind of see, like, get into the meat and potatoes of functionality. And it's, we're going to see more of that. Not just in the priesthood, but not just in the Kohanim, but also in the Levitical priesthood. And do you remember our study last week in, in chapter 18, where the Levites were given to, 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 to uh, Aaron as a gift to serve? It's not like the Lord was giving Aaron a a. a, a uh, servants, you know, maids and butlers, not like that kind of service. It's service unto the Lord, a helper, helpers, a, a people that are helpers in the work of the Lord, both Kohanim and the Levitical priesthood. So you see this when uh, Eleazar is told to, you know, the, 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 the red heifer given to the priest and in verse three, he goes outside the camp and then he slaughters. Well, there's other things that are happening outside the camp. Because in, in, in verse 5, the heifer shall be burned, and then the priest shall take the cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire burning, and then he washes. And then he comes into the camp. But then there's like, you, you see other people, the role of other people, uh, the helpers. Where in, in verse 8, the one who burns it shall wash his clothes. So everybody interacting it's like their process from for becoming clean because their state of uncleanness is outside the camp. It's not inside the camp. Because their state of uncleanness, what happens when it's inside the camp? We just studied that in Corinthians. 11. Uncleanness is 11. When you see when you read about uh, uncleanness or um, uh, uncleanness or leprosy or leaven, in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, it's a picture of unclean. And not just unclean, but impure. Impure. And so when you see these impurities inside the camp, it's not good. It's leaven inside the camp. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. It's a type of sin. Which is why this state of uncleanness, it it's outside the camp. But then to come inside the camp, there has to be washing. There has to be the washing. And they're unclean when they, they're unclean until evening. So later that night, they they're clean again. You see, just like when a leper is unclean and is outside the camp, and then comes inside the camp, but he or she can't stay in their their main tent, you know, with their family, their main house tent. No, they have to stay in little like a little side tent because they were just unclean. And if they were just unclean, and then they come in, they like none of that can. 
uncleanness can come into their main tent of their family. It's a hardcore message for us today as, you know, in our own families. Husbands, wives, kids. You know, husbands, don't bring anything dirty into your home. Wives, don't bring anything dirty into your home. And then kids, don't bring anything dirty into your home. Because it's your home. It's a sanctuary. You see? Holy people, consecrated people living. And kids need to learn this. They don't understand it when they're young, but they will understand it when they're taught. So many times parents just kind of pawn off their kids to youth leaders. You know, they say, okay, I'm going to be a worldly parent. I'm going to raise this kid, but I'm going to do my, do my deed and go to church and then pawn off their kids to the youth leader. Here, you take care of him. Here, you take care of her. And that's it. The, the only interaction that uh, a child has with anything in the Word of God is just through Sunday school. Or Sunday, or, you know, very rarely do you see kids in midweek Bible study. You might. And maybe they're just being obedient to parents, which isn't a bad thing, you know, being obedient to parents. But what about a child that desires to be there? You ever see that? Very, every once in a blue moon, you'll see that. A 12-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl in like midweek. And not just midweek, maybe it's like a Thursday prayer study or a Thursday prayer group. Or like a Friday, a, a, a Friday prayer meeting. You ever see that? Where you see like a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, a Friday prayer meeting. I mean, when I was 16, 17, Friday nights were like, that was like for friends to go out and hang out. And But then you see, that was when I was carnal. I'm not saying that's a good thing. That, that's when I was carnal, when I was in the world, when I was on my way to hell. Because I didn't know Jesus Christ. But then in the church... You see like 17-year-old, boy, girl. You see 18, 20-year-old, Friday night. And there they are at a prayer meeting. Oh, it's so beautiful to see. So beautiful to see. It's like, wow, these are like precious, precious people. And so what happens? You know, these kids, they have to learn what is unclean. Because they go out into the world and it's like they're hanging out with their friends, their friends who aren't believers. And they say, oh, yeah, let's do it. Come to my house. We're going to play with this Ouija board. Come to my house. We're going to smoke this. You know, my, my uncle got it for me. And, you know, it's the finest stuff from Chiapas, Mexico. We're going to smoke it. And kids don't know. They're kind of going in like completely innocent to these things of the world. But when you teach them, they know. And then all of a sudden they come back in the home and they haven't been defiled because they've, they've known. They haven't gone to the friend's house and done, done the Ouija boards. The friend says, hey, let's do Ouija board. The friend says, yeah, can we do something else? The friend is adamant. No, we're going to play with our Ouija boards. And the kid, you know, nope, I'm not doing that. Sorry. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go call my other friend. Because the child knows. You have like a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old who's wise. And then they come home, no defilement of the home. The home is clean. The sanctuary is clean. And so look what happens here. So it's this state of uncleanness. It's for the priests, it's, un, it's temporary until evening. And then they're cleaning it, but they have to wash. They have to wash, just like you see here in verse 8. The one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. So outside the camp, what do you see? Somebody's got to bring like the water jugs. Big vats of water. 
Because it's not just this one guy who's going to bathe. It's also the priest. So somebody's got to bring out the vats of water. Somebody's got to bring, you know, the uh, these uh, the wood, the hyssop, the scarlet. That's when you see these beautiful, beautiful helpers. Like in chapter uh, 18, uh, verse 6, when the Lord says, Behold, I myself, I myself. Remember, he's speaking to Aaron, the Kohan, the, the first high priest. And I don't want to say first high priest because spiritually speaking, there's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. It was in the beginning. But in accordance to the flesh, the first high priest. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you. A gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. He tells them in the earlier verses, they're going to serve you. And it's not a servant class. It's not where like Aaron is like, you know, a rich guy. And Aaron is just, you know, has uh, Levites bring him his coffee. Levites, you know, dust his desk, does this, does this, vacuum his house. No. When he says they're going to serve you, Aaron, when he, when he tells, the, the Lord tells Aaron that they're going to serve you, it's all of them in unison in service unto the Lord. Because remember, the whole objective is for the camp of Israel, the camp of Israel, and any uh, <clears throat> stranger that joined the camp, Jew and Gentile. It's for them to be right with the Lord. That's the objective, to be right with the Lord. Understand that it's, it's not so Aaron can be like high and mighty. It's not so the Levites can be high and mighty. No, it's for the people to be right with the Lord. That's the objective. Old Testament and New Testament. When I say New Testament, it's for a people of the way. For us to be right with the Lord and to go and make fishers of, uh, to be fishers of men and go and make disciples, not converts. Making converts is a piece of cake. But to go and make disciples. You see, a convert is one thing. A disciple is entirely different. Because a disciple desires to be a disciple. You can't make anybody be a disciple. You cannot make anybody be a disciple. I mean, parents have a little bit of leeway there because you can tell the kid, hey, kid, get in the car. We're going to church. And the kid says, no, I don't want to go. Do you want to get grounded? Do you want to be grounded? You know, turn off your, uh, turn off your Wi-Fi capabilities. Do you want that to happen? Take your phone. You know, no friends. You got to stay home, stay in your room. I mean, kids nowadays, they get grounded, but then they have their computers. Oh, I'm doing my homework, mom. I'm doing my homework, dad. They're not doing their homework. But, you know, back in the days, if you're older, you know, your parents said go in the room. It was like your room was like a prison. You know, no phone. You can't go out. Your friends try to sneak in through the window. You're, that's how it was when I was a kid. Friends try to sneak in through the window, you know, or maybe they'll be on the fence on the other side. You open your window and you're like in prison, you know, your window's like a prison cell. You get the hands on your bar, the bars on your, the hands on your, on the bars. That's how it was back in the, no phones, no cell phones, no social media, no nothing. But kids today, they're spoiled. Parents say, you're grounded, go to your room. It's no big deal because they just do their social media stuff. They do their, you know, whatever. But real grounding, it's like, take all that away. Take all that away. Parents, be wise. 
be wise. And so we see these things happen in the Old Testament, but then at the same time, you see that this it's this state of uh, uh, unclean to clean. You see, the priest is no different from the people, but the priests are special vessels. Special vessels. You know, it's not for Aaron. It's not for the Kohanim to have a, a servant class to as, as waiters and butlers and, you know, maids. No, it's all of them in unison in service unto the Lord. And the Lord desires His people to be clean. In the priesthood and in the camp of all the tribes. And even the strangers who join the camp. Even the strangers who says, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be a Canaanite. A stranger who says, you know what, I don't want to be a, 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 a Hivite. I don't, I don't want to be that. When I was born, when I was raised, we had our gods, we had all these other gods, but they're nothing like the God of the Hebrews. The God of the Hebrews is most high. The God that they worship, He is most high. There is none higher. He is almighty. And so I'm going to deny the gods of Canaan. And then I'm going to sojourn. I'm going to leave the camp of Canaan and come into the camp of Israel. And in the camp of Israel, you know, maybe there's going to be the warriors there. You know, the first encounter is going to be like the, the men of war because they don't know who you are. And so say we're Canaanites and we were born in Canaan and we even worship our parents worship the gods of Canaan. Maybe we even worship the gods of Canaan. And we just, we, we, yeah, we have these gods, but these gods are nothing. We're denying these gods and the, the God of the Hebrew people, the God of Israel. There is none higher. He, we're going to go worship him. And so we leave Canaan. We go to the camp of Israel. We see the smoke, you know. And then we go to the camp of Israel. We sojourn for a little bit. And then we're, and, you know, we meet up the warriors because they don't know who we are. Are we coming as enemies? And then we tell them, we explain to them, no, look, we're Canaanites, but we don't want to be Canaanites anymore. We don't want to be Canaanites anymore because we, we acknowledge your God as the most high and we want to worship him. We want to worship him and we want to make offering unto him. And then in the law, provisions in the law, it's not that, you know, in the camp of Israel, they kill us because, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Israel, Israelites. No, in the law is to say, hey, Take them in. Bring them in. And so they let us in. We meet the people. Hey, how you doing? You know, I don't know if it's like that. But, <laughs> but we, meet the, <laughs> we meet the people. And then we worship the Lord. And in while we're in the camp of Israel, it's not like we're ostracized. We're like we're grafted in. We can make offering unto the Lord. We can worship the Lord. Our tents can be clean. And we have this covering of the Lord. An Old Testament example of, of uh, strange people, Gentile people, being grafted in, just as we studied in Romans 11. Grafted in. How beautiful is this to see the hand of our Lord through the span of time, not just the hand of our Lord back then, but the hand of our Lord today. Same God. He doesn't change. Culture has changed, but He doesn't change. He is the one constant throughout the ages. Everything's changed. I mean, 
you look at like astronomically speaking, you know, the rotation of the earth and all everything spins around and the sun, you know, all these rotations of the moon and all the, you know, everything just does its movement. The galaxy, you know, in the course of decades and centuries and millennia, the shift of everything. But what's the one constant? The Lord. It's Him that we worship. You see? So all the, the whole objective is for people to be right with the Lord. This work, this when the Lord says, hey, the Levites are, you know, they're going to serve you, Aaron. It's not a servant class like, you know, slaves. It's a servant class. Aaron himself being a servant unto the Lord. It's all, it's to serve the Lord. And in the service of the Lord, in the Lord, and the Lord desires Israel to be clean and those who were grafted in to be clean. So in that example where we were Canaanites and we come into the camp of Israel, we deny the gods of Canaan. We leave the gods. The gods of Canaan are in Canaan. We leave the gods of Canaan. And now the Lord desires our homes, our tents to be clean. You see? We have our families, and the Lord desires our tents to be clean. The Lord desires everybody into those tents to be clean. You see? Everybody under the tent. A covering for a family. That's what we see in the Old Testament. And so you see here this temporary uncleanness on the priesthood. Because what they're, I don't want to say what they're working with, but what they're what they're doing in service unto the Lord. It's very holy. But it's they're dealing with sin. They're dealing with because remember the Lord became sin. Jesus Christ became sin. And so all these examples of uncleanness that we see in the Old Testament, it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, it's all to do the work of the Lord. You see? And remember the priests, when, like, for example, you see this work that is happening among the uh, uh, Eleazar, the, the priest, who's Kohanim. But then you also see this, these things that are tasked into the priesthood. It's like, wow, they're all about the Lord's business. They're doing the business of the Lord because the people need to be pure. The people need to be not just clean, pure. You know, clean is one thing, but like... Purity, it's like, it takes cleanliness to another level. You know, it's like, I can't describe it, but maybe you know what I'm talking about. Clean is clean, but pure is sometimes night and day when it comes to cleanliness and purity. And then so, at the same time, you know, like we, 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 we fast forward into uh, 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 the times of Christ in His earthly ministry. When he was made a little lesser than the angels. Remember we studied that in Hebrews 2. A little lesser than the angels. But then exalted above the angels and at the right hand of God. And he himself became God. Not that, you know, Jesus says, I and my father are one. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, when he believed, he says, my Lord and my God. You see, he was God. I, I and my father are one and, and oneness, but still made a little lower than the angels in his earthly ministry, Hebrews 2. But in his earthly ministry, 
It was the high, the, the, the priesthood, the, 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 the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribe, the Sanhedrin. All these people who knew the law, supposedly, they should have known that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And we read some passages, and some of them did know that he was the Messiah, except they liked their, they liked their position, they liked their power. But they were still blind. Read Matthew 23, if you remember our study. Woe to you. Look at all the woe to yous. Scribes and Pharisees, woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, woe to you. Blind guides. It's hardcore what Jesus Christ says to them because they're blind. And they're bringing judgment upon Israel because of their blindness. Then you see these, when we read these passages in Numbers, and you see like, wow, the Kohanim, the Levites, they're all about God's business and the people need to be right. And then you get into like the Gospels and you see what the, the priests are doing, the religious leaders, the religious establishment. It's like, what in the world are you guys doing? The people still need to be clean. The people still need to be purified. And when they're chasing Paul all over the place, trying to kill him in the book of Acts, trying to kill Christians, do all these. It's like, what are you guys doing? There's sin in the camp. Why are you occupied with this stuff when there's sin in the camp? And not just that, they turn their fathers, they turn Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, you turn my father's house into a den of thieves. They weren't about the Lord's business anymore. They were about their business because they turned synagogue into business. You see, people would come to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make my offering to the Lord. This is in Jesus' earthly ministry days. I'm going to make my offering unto the Lord. Here's a lamb. It's the best, you know, it's the best lamb I have. It's the cream of the crop. My flock, you know, I got some mangy ones. I got some okay ones. But this one is like the cream of the crop. The best one I have. No blemishes. It's not as bright as these other ones. You know, this guy's lamb that he brought, it doesn't shine as brightly as this one. But this is the best one that I have. And instead of the priest... You know, like saying, okay, you know, like making, like making sure that it's not, you know, making sure that it's without blemish. And saying, okay, you know, we're going to sacrifice this one to atone for you and to atone for your family, to atone for your tent or to atone for your home. And maybe some people had tents in those days, but, you know, they, they had brick and mortar too. Instead of the priest saying, okay, you know, we're going to sacrifice and we're going to start this process of being right before the Lord. Instead of that happening, they would take the lamb, you know, a quick little five second review and say, okay, you know, we found this little blemish, but here's this other one that we have here. We're going to, you know, picks up the little lamb and says, okay, here's this one. It's going to cost you 200 bucks. I'm just throwing out an arbitrary number, but it's going to cost you money. And so the, the guy says, okay, well, you know, I, I, it's very difficult. I got rent to pay. I got all these things. You know, I got to buy groceries. I got to pay the light bill. I got to do all these things. But here, I need my home to be clean. I need to honor the Lord. And so here, here's the 200 bucks. And then they take this lamb and then they, you know, they start the, the process of being right before the, the sacrifice. Meanwhile, the lamb that he brought was put back into that little, the, the little thing there to, to be sold to the next guy that comes in. You see? So now you have the priest pulling profit. They turn it into a business. Instead of the Lord's business, it's their business. That's what we see in the church today. 
Instead of the Lord's business, it becomes man's business. With a lot of tax advantages. You see? What's happening? What's happening? It shouldn't be that way. That's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Old Testament and New Testament, that's what happens. But not so with the remnant. The remnant are a very, very special people, Old Testament and New Testament. A very, very special people who love the Lord, who fear the Lord, who honor the Lord. That's the remnant. And so look what happens here in verse 9. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer. Because remember, it was burned in verse 6. You know, it was burned with the hiss of the scarlet and the cedar wood. So everything was burned. Then a man who is clean, in verse 9, shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp. And nuach in the Hebrew, which is to settle and rest them outside the camp in a clean place. You see what's happening here? So the red heifer is taken outside the camp, killed, slaughtered, burned. Remember we studied the burnt offering in Leviticus, the burnt offering. All these things are a topology of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 9, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of of the heifer heifer, and store them and nuach them outside the camp, which is to settle and rest them in a clean place. Turn with me really quick to Luke 23. Luke 23. And in Luke 23, verse 50, Luke 23, verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. Now in Matthew 27, verse 57, we see that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, this Joseph. A disciple of Jesus Christ. He's also a council member. So he's um, he's of the establishment, but not he's in the establishment, but not of the establishment. Just the same way we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And so you have this Joseph, who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, what's revealed in Matthew 27, verse 57. And not only that, he was also wealthy. And not wealthy like you know, you know, wealthy and abusing the world. But wealthy, and he, you know, he 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 was able to uh, fund the tomb, and not just that, that, but he had when he went to Pilate. You know, he had certain allowances according to the flesh that was in put in service of the Lord, and to honor the Lord. I mean, to get to 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 to, to use a tomb, and it's unused. And that's what's so beautiful about, you know, like what we study in Corinth, you know, to, you know, not abuse the things of the world. You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Not to, to use the things of the world and abuse them. But that we use the things of the world to honor the Lord, such as you see with this Joseph, a disciple of Christ. It says here in verse 50, still in Luke 23, he was a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed, so he's... In the establishment, but not part of that. Not part of them. He did not consent to their decision, not just the decision, and their deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. So, as revealed in Matthew 20, uh, 27, verse 57, he's a disciple, but he's also 
you know, it has that uh, 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 waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. You see? No one had ever lain before. This is all outside the camp. Jesus Christ killed outside the camp. His body outside the camp. Laid in the tomb outside the camp. By who? Joseph. A disciple. A good and just man. Who himself was waiting for the kingdom. He's clean. You see? He's clean. How beautiful is this? I mean, we're straight up studying numbers. And here we see, it's like, what? How beautiful is this when we see this happen? I don't mean beautiful, like, like the death of our Lord. When you read uh, uh, prophecies about the death of our Lord, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's difficult because we love Him. But then at the same time, understand He rose again and we, we love Him. We love Him even more every day. But then we start to understand, like the passage which says, it's pleasing to the it's pleasing to the Father that you know that Jesus dies. It's pleasing to Him. Carnally thinking, in accordance to the flesh, it's like I don't get it. Like what? How is this pleasing? But then, as a blood bought people, then we understand He goes to rescue the captives free. That's you and that's me. You see, a people of the way. But we see these passages in, in the gospel of this fulfillment of the Old Testament examples that we read here. Going back to Numbers 19. In Numbers 19, in verse 9, Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and nuach, store them or settle and rest them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. So you see, the red heifer is taken outside the camp, killed. And then outside the camp, uh, the, uh, the ashes are settled and stored outside the camp. And it's to be used for the water of purification. Now, what is the water of purification? That's what we're going to see here. Now, the, what happened is that they would take the ashes of the heifer, add water to it, and that and it wasn't just like, you know, like, you know, pour like a whole bunch of water because, remember, the red heifer, a red heifer is very, very rare. Very, very rare. It's not just like, you know, if it was just any heifer, it could be done with great frequency. If it was a lamb, it could be done with great frequency. A goat with great frequency. But a red heifer is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rare. And under the age of four, there can be no blemishes. It has to be born without blemish. It has to be raised without blemish. Not put to work because, you know, it's a, a, a yoke has never come on it. Not put to work. So a red heifer is born, and then that red heifer has to be saved before the age of sacrifice, before the age of four. 
It's not just like, okay, we have a red heifer and, you know, no, there cannot be any blemishes. Which means that the body has to be examined. If there's like, you know, a couple white hairs, several white hairs, you have this red heifer from a distance. It looks like, wow, what a beautiful red heifer. This is a qualified red heifer. But then you get close. You look at the ears. You look at the back, the spine, the tail. Oh, we found a white hair here. Okay, there's one. Keep looking. Okay, get to the chest. You're like separating the hairs. We found a white hair here. Oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And then you keep looking. You go to the sides. You rub against, you know, spread the hairs. Here's another white hair. Okay, boom, disqualified. This is not a qualified red heifer. Put them to work, you know. Oh, here we got a red heifer. We got a red heifer over here. How old is he? Six. Sorry. You see, it's very, very rare, this red heifer, very incredibly, incredibly rare. And so they would take these ashes and it's not just like, okay, we're going to make these, these ashes, uh, we're just going to, you know, use it all. No, they would use it very, very, very sparingly, but it still had functionality to it. And when you use it sparingly, that means that, okay, not just in the priesthood, but in the camp of Israel, you know, because of the rarity of these ashes, you know, we got to make it last because red heifers are so, 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 so rare. You see? And so, so it says in verse nine, it says, for the water of purification is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes. And be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. That's like my example of the Can- You know, we're former Canaanites in my example. And we deny Canaan. We deny the gods of, Can- of Canaan. We're no longer Canaanites. We are in the camp of Israel. We are Israelites grafted in. You see? Just like in the New Testament, what we see in, in Romans 11, remember we studied Romans 11, we are grafted in. Remember, the branch is not greater than the root. The branch is not greater than the root. In accordance to the flesh, you never look at a tree that's supported by a branch. No, you never see that. The same thing applies to you and to me. I'm a Gentile, I don't know, you know, you might be Jewish, you know, and if you are Jewish, praise be to the Lord, in Christ there's no Jew-Gentile, we are one in Christ, but even still, it's the root that supports the branch, we are grafted in, and so look what happens here in verse 11, he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. Now, this is harkens to our studies in Leviticus about, you know, the uncleanness through death. When you come across a, that's just a carcass. There's a, a statutes for a carcass of an animal, but then there's a rules for a dead body, human body. And I love in, tw- in Leviticus 21 verse 11, it's no defilement even with mom and dad. Even with mom and dad in Leviticus 21 verse 11, when mom and dad die, it's like, you know, it's sad that they're dead, but not even to be defiled with their dead bodies. You know why? Because the Kohanim, the Levites, are all about the Lord's business. Remember, 
in the Gospels? Oh yeah, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go first bury my family. What does Jesus Christ say? Let the dead bury their dead. Let the dead bury their dead. You see? All these things that we study in the Old Testament, like, wow, that's harsh. Wow, this is harsh. Wow, I can't believe that. But then with spiritual eyes, with eyes of, not just spiritual eyes, but with eyes of the Spirit, we get into the Gospels and we can see these things, see these passages, understand these. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is teaching us. You see? In verse 12, He shall purify Himself with water on the third day, which coincides with the Feast of the first fruits. Do you remember our study in Leviticus? Purify Himself with water on the third day, which is, coincides with the Feast of the first fruits, and on the seventh day, which coincides with the, uh, 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 the ending of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You see? Now, for you and me today as New Covenant believers, that should resonate. Third day? I mean, remember what happened with our Lord on the third day? Just like we looked at in, in, in Luke 23, when he was laid in, in, in Luke 23, verse 53, then he took it down, then he, uh, then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That's what Joseph did to the body of Christ. The body of our Lord. But what happened on the third day? He rose again, you see? And in accordance to uh, the feasts and the festivals, what we study in Leviticus, we see here in verse 12 of Numbers 19, he shall pure himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But what coincides with the seventh day? The ending of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, in accordance with the feasts and festivals, what's left? The Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of the Atonement. And in the Feast of Tabernacles. Does that ring a bell? Trumpets. When you read Revelation. The trumpets. Atonement. You see. And then Tabernacle. These are things that will come. A foreshadowing of the things that will come. You see. In verse 12. And then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. He will not be clean. In accordance to the new covenant, what happens? God moved to the Gentiles. His focus was placed on the Gentiles. Remember when, when Jesus Christ died before Pilate says, you know, here's, here's, uh, uh, here, here's uh, uh, Jesus. You know, Jesus or Barnabas, they say, give us, or Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. But he's your king. We have no king. We have no king but Caesar. You know, his curse be upon us. Whoa. Whoa. And so what happens from that point? You know, the Lord takes these disciples. He... I mean, he, he, he rises again, and then the disciples are waiting. And then what happens? The tongues of fire, Acts chapter 2. And tongues of fire, they now speak heavenly things. 
and they speak, you know, about the kingdom. They teach about the kingdom. They proclaim the kingdom. And then people believe Christians, the church grows. Thousands upon thousands, the church grows. And see, and then Paul going to the Jew first, he was always going to the synagogue. He says, I wish that I could be accursed from Christ for, for my, my brethren. That's how much love he had for Israel. A Pharisee, a former Pharisee of Pharisees. And so finally he says, okay, to the Gentiles. I tried with the synagogue and now to the Gentiles. So the focus of the Lord shifted from Israel to the Gentiles. Not that he's done with Israel, but to fulfill the scriptures. Every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled to fulfill the scriptures. Blindness in part. Remember Romans. People say, oh yeah, Romans 9, Romans 9. Don't forget, Romans 9 is part of a theme. Romans 7 through 11. You have to listen to Romans 7 through 11. Listen to our studies through Romans. If you're a Calvinist, if you're a Reformed theory person, listen to our studies in Romans 7 through Romans 11. Listen to those studies and understand. And then maybe before that, listen to another study, which is how to uh, or, or do not take the mark of the beast. Because what's very common, what's growing in Calvinistic circles, what's growing in Reformed theory people, and according to their pastors, People with their uh, 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 study Bibles, uh, New York Times bestseller people, is that they're starting to teach it's okay to take the mark of the beast because once saved, always saved. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast because once saved, always saved. You see, that's what's happening. It's a trap. Straight up. Never, 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 I don't care what anybody says. Never take the mark of the beast. Never. Your life will depend on it. Not in this life. The life to come. So if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed theory, I love you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But, you know, if you're like hardcore on Romans 8, hardcore on Romans 9, predestination, if you're hardcore on that in accordance to Reformed theory, in accordance to Calvinism, listen to our study through Romans chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. Because a lot of what's happening in Reformed theory people and Reformed theory circles is that God is done with Israel. Replacement theology. Cessationism. It's unbiblical. It's to provoke the Jews to jealousy. He's not done. Scripture needs to be fulfilled and Scripture will be fulfilled. And blindness in part has come, in part, has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans 11. You see? All these things will happen. It will come to pass. It's to provoke the Jews to jealousy. To provoke Israel to jealousy. You know, sometimes you say, I don't get that. God is provoking jealousy. Well, I like to explain it with parents. Say you're a parent and you have two kids. Okay, you're a parent, you have two kids. And one is kind of like, you know, on his own program. And the other is kind of a little bit more obedient. And so the one who's kind of a little bit more um, prideful, you see a little more pride in one. 
So to the one, you know, they, maybe this this one just says, you know what, I don't want to play anymore. And so he goes off and does his own thing. But to the one that remains, you say, okay, here, I'm going to give you this little toy. And you play with this. And so that one who walked away is going to look back and be like, you know what, I want that toy. I want that toy. I want to play. And so the kid comes back and says, okay. And as a parent, you say, okay, well, if you want to play, these are the rules. You got to play like this, play nice. You got to beat up your brother, you know, fighting, none of this. So as a parent, it's like provoking to jealousy because jealousy is a tool that means that you're a tool that you're using to bring this child back. You see? And that's what the Lord does. You see? It's not like he's, you know, people say, oh, I don't like to worship the Lord because he's, he's cruel. I read the Old Testament. He's very cruel and all these things. Well, understand, you know, why does he provoke to jealousy? Well, what's better? What's better? Understanding when the trumpets sound, it's like judgment is imminent. What's better? Oh, I don't like how God does this. Well, don't forget, he is reactionary. Before judgment comes, before these stern warnings come, it's grace and mercy. Just like, remember, the Lord saved Egypt. God saved Egypt. He also destroyed Egypt. Well, I don't get it. What do you mean? The famine. Remember the famine? There was a famine, but the Lord saved Egypt through Joseph. And Egypt believed in the Lord. Pharaoh gave all his authority at his right hand was Joseph. Zaphnath Paneah. At his right hand. You see? All authority. And he, he loved the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. He was a type of Christ. Joseph. At the right hand of Pharaoh. A type of Christ. In our study in Genesis. If you remember our study in Genesis. And so what happens? It's like in Egypt, the Lord saved Egypt. But then in the course of time, the Lord became forgotten. And Egypt fell under judgment. Came under judgment. You see? That's what happens. So you say, I don't like how the Lord provokes the jealousy. I don't like how he does. Well, what's better? Do you want judgment to come upon them? That's not the heart of the Lord. What's better? I don't like how the Lord does this. I don't like how the, he's so mean. He's so cruel. Okay, let's hit the rewind button. I mean, let's speak individually now. Oh, the Lord is so cruel. Look, look what he does. Look what he did to me. He did this. He did that. He did this. Okay, let's hit the rewind button. Do you remember 10 years ago when you had a coworker who was a Christian? And she would tell you about Jesus Christ? Yeah, I remember that. Well, why didn't you respond? Why didn't you go to church with her? Why when they had their little Bible studies, you know, a couple Christians, why when they had their Bible studies and they invited you, why didn't you go? Oh, I was too busy. I wanted to hang out with my friends and talk sports. Okay, it's fine. You're free to make your choice. And then... You know, let's rewind eight years ago. What about when your neighbor, when your neighbor asked you to, you know, go to a Bible study or come over to his house and have a Bible study? What about, how come you didn't go? 
well, I had this friend, you know, he just got out of jail. And so I wanted to get high with him. Okay. All right. You made your choice. What about the following week or the following month when your neighbor asked you again, join him in the Bible study? He told you about, he was mowing his lawn. You were mowing your lawn. And you know he told you about Jesus Christ gave you the gospel. Ah, yeah, I don't believe in those fairy tales. Okay, all right. And then the following month when he invited you back to the Bible study. Nah, my friend, you know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't incarcerated again. And so he, he, we got high again. And then I got sucked into the drug lifestyle. Then I started to party and to go club and, and do all these things. Okay. So all these times you ignored these, you know, special messengers of the Lord. Because God loves you. And he was trying to get your attention. Trying to get you and bring you into his camp. And the whole time you ignored. So tell me, why is it that you have this, this beef? Is it not a byproduct of your own doing, my friend? You see? Oh, but I don't like how God judges. I don't like this wrath that's coming. Okay, let me tell you something, my friend. Judgment is coming upon this world. God's wrath is going to befall this earth. And 10 years ago, 8 years ago, you ignored him. And that was 10 years ago. We are closer to his coming judgment. And it will come. We are closer. Now, since you have this understanding of what has happened as a result of your own choices, why not choose today, Jesus Christ? Why not choose today, right here and now, Jesus Christ? When the air of your ways has been revealed, maybe you didn't think in those terms. What's stopping you? Is the crack that good? You see? Is the alcohol that good? Is the sex that good? Is the uh, being a tax cheat, is it that good? And I'm just labeling these items. But is it really that good that it will cost your soul? No. God loves you. He loves you. You repent. You believe in Jesus Christ. You repent for the remission of sins. And you receive Him as Lord and Savior. If that's you and you want to make that decision, you hit pause and then you listen to the message how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And you come back and you start listening again. And we grow in Christ together as one. As a people who left Canaan and are now grafted in. And we worship the Lord. You see? And we journey together. We walk together. Where? In Christ to paradise. Oneness with Him. That's the whole objective, Old Testament, New Testament, for people to be right with the Lord. And so, look what happens here in, in verse 13, in Numbers uh, 19, verse 13. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And this is a big deal, what is written here in verse 13. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not, does not purify himself. So now you see neglect of self. 
yes, somebody has died. That's, you know, however they died, that's, that's on them. I don't want to, you know, if you have family member that died, I don't want to say that it's no big deal because it's heartbreaking. But death happens. It's appointed for a man to die once and then judgment. That's what the Bible says. But if there is no purification of self, which is self-inflicted, and I don't mean purify self, purify self through what the Lord says. And this is the law. I'm not advocating the law. Understand that we, you and me today, we purify ourselves in Jesus Christ. He purifies us. Not just make clean, purifies. It's not like you take a shower. I remember I was so enveloped in sin, so much carnality, so much works of the flesh. This was when I wasn't a Christian, but I was in that. It's like a weird point in life. Not a weird point, but just, you know, in accordance with the flesh, a weird point. But now I look back and it was entirely supernatural. Where I could take a thousand showers, 10,000 showers, a million showers, and I would still be dirty. I would still, I still felt dirty. I could take a thousand showers with like a big bottle of soap and like a Brillo pad and, you know, wire brush and everything and I would still be dirty. I might have been clean. I might have been, you know, smelling like soap. But I wasn't pure. You see? Clean on the outside. Nice and fresh and clean on the outside. But inside, a filthy, filthy, disgusting cesspool of just nastiness. Inside. And that's how I felt. And there's only one person that can clean you. There's only one person that can cleanse both outside and inside. His name is Jesus Christ. Only one. Buddha can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Mary can't do it. Joseph can't do it. You say, why do you throw in Joseph? Well, not the Joseph of the Old Testament, the Joseph of the New Testament, the father, you know, the, the carnal, in accordance to the flesh, the carnal father of uh, Jesus. Not father, I mean, not father, but, the, you know, the one who was the, had like the, the dad role. No, I shouldn't say it like that, but like raising child rearing because Jesus Christ, his father was our father in heaven. But Joseph, the guy who was uh, married to Mary, he said, why do you throw in Joseph? You know why? Because the Pope is now throwing in Joseph. He's telling, he's telling people to pray to Joseph, the husband of Mary. That's what he's doing. He's starting to tell people to pray to Joseph. He doesn't know the Bible. Maybe he knows the Bible, except he wants to deceive people. Maybe he knows the Bible. But don't forget, in the last days, this beast from the earth will arise. Will arise. Will it be the Pope? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I have a hunch. He's in, in, in my pool of individuals, in my pool of people as potential fulfillment of the beast from the earth. He's in there. He's in my list. He's in my list. And not just, you know, today it's Pope Francis, but whatever Pope. You know, he might die and then the next Pope, but you know, whoever the Pope is, they're in my list. It's going to happen. And this false prophet, the beast from the earth, will draw fire from heaven and people will marvel and people will believe. 
Not so with the remnant to whom I speak. Not so with the remnant. And the Pope today is telling people, worship Joseph. Pray to Joseph. Speak to Joseph. Ask for guidance from Joseph. Fool. Fool. He doesn't know what he's talking about. If he doesn't repent, I'm speaking of the Pope, if he doesn't repent and receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Lord and Savior, he will burn in hell. Biblically speaking, with the authority of Holy Scripture, if he doesn't repent and receive Jesus as Lord, he will burn in hell. No purgatory for him. There's no purgatory at all. In verse 13, whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. Now you see, in the middle of verse 13, does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. Bingo. That's, that's a big deal. Even today, because back then the defilement of the tabernacle of the Lord, you know, it, 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 the, the, the ashes, the ashes are needed, are necessary. The ashes of the red heifer. Remember the red heifer slaughtered outside the camp, burned outside the camp. I mean, these, there's special use for these ashes. Because if these ashes with the purification water, if that's not if that's not put on somebody, if that's not if that's not done, what happens? The tabernacle is defiled. It's a big deal back then in what we're studying in Numbers 19, and it's a big deal today. Do you know why? The third temple. The third temple. You see? Now that's for a people who follow the law. And today, you look at today's news. What I mean, you look at the news and you see all kind of garbage, but you kind of got to go under the news for like, you know, the real news. But what's happening? There's like a major, major movement. What's happening with the Kohanim of today, the Levites of today. What's happening with them is that they're preparing for this red heifer. They're preparing they, bioengineered red heifers have been bioengineered. These are things which scripture will be fulfilled. I mean, you you know, we, we talk about prophecy, we talk about prophetic fulfillment, and sometimes prophetic and fulfillment. What we what we studied today is the red heifer fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But for a people who don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah, now if you're Jewish. If you're listening to me and you're of the Hebrew people, I love you. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It's not son of David and a second Messiah. It's not uh, uh, two Messiahs. It's one Messiah, two comings. He came the first time as the lamb and the goat and their heifer, the red heifer. And the turtle dove, the scapegoat, and the oil and the, the, the grain offering. And he was burned. 
outside the camp. With cedarwood, with hyssop, with scarlet. And he will come again. Not two messiahs. One messiah, two comings. So that scripture can be fulfilled. Isaiah 12, or uh, Zechariah 12. Zechariah 13, Zechariah 14. If you're of the Hebrew people and you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as Messiah, change your ways. He is the Messiah. And He loves you. This curse that was given long ago, you know, His curse be on us and our children. Break that curse. And receive Jesus Christ as Lord. It's very important because we see these things happen. It's happening today. It's happening today. So verse 13, we're in the middle and it says, If he does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. These are things which are going to come into play soon. It's coming into play today as we speak. The Kohanim of today, the Levites of today. They are planning for this. They are in preparation for the sacrifice of the red heifer. Why? To build the temple, the third temple, as prophesied. In verse 14, now, these ordinances to the laws that we're studying, there's, uh, which it's going to get even deeper and more involved in our future studies in the Old Testament, but you remember when Jesus Christ, when 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 the when he was asked about divorce, you know why did why did why did Moses permit a man to divorce? But Jesus Christ pointed to the beginning. Not so in the beginning, pre-law, when there was no law. Pre-law, it was not so in the beginning. You see. And so these ordinances that we see, because there's a big, big, big movement. It's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. Where Christians are deceived into returning to the law. As much as we're looking at the law, the beauty of Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers, the beauty of these things, it's beautiful in the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful as a tutor. As a tutor. You have to listen to the tutor. Because the tutor points you to Christ. And then when you're in Christ, you abide in Him. Not to go back. Because if you want to live by the law, you'll also die by the law. And that's not good because the law brings death. That's our study in Romans. Listen to our study through Romans. And so we see here in verse 14, This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Now, do you remember in our study in 1 Corinthians 5 to put away the evil person, you know, represented of leaven? Because the dead are moving towards death instead of life. Now, you can be a fisherman, you can be a fisherwoman and say, hey, repent, receive Jesus Christ. You can do that and do that. Because that's what we're called to do. Be fishers of men. But then at the same time, you know, understand that, you know, if, if they make their choice, they continue in their, in, in their waywardness, well, that's the deceitfulness of sin. It's how a person can go from clean to unclean. 
in the camp of in the camp of Christ. And they can leave Christ. They can walk away from Christ. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, you say, what are you talking about? Well, it's in Hebrews 3. I'll just read it really quick. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what sin does. And that's the trap of Satan. That's the trap of Satan. He tries, oh yeah, God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and do this. God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and say this. God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and do this. God is love. God will forgive me. Actually, he already did forgive me. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. And once saved, always saved. So I'm good to go. You see? No cleanliness in heart. You might have taken a thousand showers. But if you haven't repented to Jesus Christ, you're still dirty. The same way I was. These things that I teach, these things that I teach, I say, say from experience. You feel dirty right now? Praise the Lord. That's the acknowledgement of filth. Now, do you want to get clean? I only say praise the Lord if you say yes. You need Jesus Christ because only He can clean the heart. Only He can clean the mind. You see? And so, look what happens here in verse 15, going back to uh, 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 Numbers 19. And every open vessel which has no cover, no cover fastened on it is unclean. Now, we're going to understand this as New Covenant believers a little bit easier when we look at the covering in, the new, in, the, in, in, in Corinthians, in the letter to Corinth. Covering. That's why, you know, you hear me mention in, in Exodus, Leviticus, covering, covering, covering. New Testament, the covering of Christ. You know, for a family, the covering of Jesus on a husband, the covering of the husband on the wife, the covering on the husband and wife on their kids. Covering. Harkens to these Old Testament examples. In verse 15, every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. It's an Old Testament example of uncleanliness when there's no covering. In verse 16, whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or given a bone, given or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. This is the impact of the dead to the living. As new covenant believers, you and me, we have to make a distinction. There's a dead guy, there's a dead lady. And I'm talking about in accordance to the flesh. Remember when Jesus Christ said, you know, the disciples said of their living parents, oh, you know, Jesus says, follow me. The disciple or the, the, the disciple or the fisherman at the time said at the time, he says, let me go first bury my family. And what does Jesus Christ say? Let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury their own. You see, my family who's alive. You know, the, the, the fisherman said, let me go be with my family because there's a burial. What does Jesus Christ say? Not let the living bury the dead. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Whoa. Spiritual, spiritually dead. That's what you see. Non-believers. Non-believers, spiritually dead. Where are the fishermen? Where are the fisherwomen? 
Where are the fisher boys? Where are the fisher girls? Where are the fisher old ladies? Where are the fisher old men? Where? Go and make disciples. This is the impact of the dead unto the living. That's why Jesus Christ, you know, he gives these warnings about being unequally yoked. Or in the church, you know, separate from anyone named a brother. You see, anyone named a brother. It's the same. The exact same. Put away the evil person. Remember we studied that in 1 Corinthians 5? Put away the evil person. In verse 17, And for the unclean person, they shall make some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin, and running water shall be put and, and and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. You see this running water in the Hebrew, it translates as alive water. Alive water, running water, which is an Old Testament example of living water. You see, living water. That's why we start to understand now this red heifer, the ashes of the red heifer, the sacrifice of the red heifer. And red heifers, understand, they're not common at all. Not, it's not like, you know, red heifers are being born all the time. Red heifers are very, very, very rare. So this is you, these ashes are to be used very, very sparingly. Now, historically speaking, when I say historically, it's largely in, 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 in accordance to the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian. The last red heifer was in 30 AD. 30 AD was the last red heifer. Now, spiritually speaking, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ happened within that four years from the last red heifer, 30 AD. Now, today, there are red heifers all, like there are more red heifers that are being bioengineered. We already have on the earth today, Qualified red heifers, qualified red heifers, which are under the age of four. And there's more being born. Not, this is like the only time in, not the only time, but in a long time, since 30 AD. I could go a little bit deeper, but I'll refrain from going a little bit deeper because... I'll just refrain from going a little bit too deep, but... Um, Today, we have on this earth qualified red heifers. Some have the majority bioengineered. Bioengineered. Now, there are some uh, like uh, uh, Christians who are farmers. And if they have a red, they, 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 they contact the uh, religious leaders, they contact the Kohanim, they contact uh, the Levites and say, hey, we have a red heifer. And they actually, they, they send priests to where they're at to, you know, if they might be in Argentina, they might be in, in some part of the world, they might be anywhere. And they send these priests to inspect, to, to make sure everything's okay. And they say, okay, we're going to take this red heifer. And so even if the red heifer is, is, uh, becomes disqualified if, you know, in a year or in a couple months, they see a white hair, a couple white hairs, three white hairs. It's like, okay, biblically disqualified. But they'll use that DNA in their bioengineering to bioengineer red heifers. This is the only time in history since like 30 AD. Well, 
I'm not going to go too deep, but this is the only time in history where you see a large, large, large concentration of qualified red heifers ready to be slaughtered. Ready to be slaughtered. It's these times that we're living in today. Prophecy is happening. Prophecy is happening. You see, and it, it, the Six Day War, the Six Day War, that what happened in the Six Day War was, you know, the, the Israel was winning the battle and winning the war. And they got to the Temple Mount and one of the generals says, OK, the Temple Mount, it's, it's ours. We're going to take it. But it was one of their priests. One of their priests says, no, we can't do we can't even go near this temple. Do not do that. You know why? He says, because we've been exposed to death and we are unclean. We haven't been purified and so they didn't take it they didn't take it that's why you see and you know on the temple grounds today on the temple mount you see the dome of the rock the dome of the rock that's in accordance with islam but in the last days you know when the political climate is right what's going to happen is that you know things are going to be prepared for the building, the construction of the third temple. Now, there's a lot of people who say that the uh, 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 the Dome of the Rock has to be destroyed. That, 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 that can't be there. Now, I understand what they say. I understand why they teach it. I understand the logic behind it. I understand it. I get it. But me personally, I don't believe that. I, I believe that the two are going to coexist, the third temple and the uh, uh, Al-Aqsa. I believe the two at the Dome of the Rock. I believe the two are going to exist because when you read the prophecies, when, you know, in the prophecies, go and measure out the area of the temple. The other area, it's going to be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Go and measure out this little area over here. And so I think there's going to be more of a sharing arrangement on the temple grounds. Kind of like, you know, you see this ecumenical movement. You see the, the Pope going around the world trying to unite the faiths of the family of Abraham, he says. But the real family of Abraham, remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the Pope is going trying to unite the family of Abraham, but in doing so, he's trying to unite the family, you know, Esau. No, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the lineage that, that branched off from Esau, well, the one who's going to unify is Jesus Christ. And that unification only happens by belief in Him. Only belief in Him. That's why you see, you know, like this example we gave in, 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 the, in the wilderness, the Canaanite, we go in our time machine or say we're former Canaanites. Well, we deny the gods of Canaan and we acknowledge Jesus Christ and we worship Him, the God, the, 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 uh, uh, the God of Israel. But then there's also Hittites, Jebusites. They deny their gods and are grafted into the camp of Israel. The same thing applies to you. If you're Arab and you're, you're growing, you've been raised in, in your belief system, well, God loves you. God loves you. You receive Jesus Christ. You see? If you're Hindu, if you're whatever, you know, Virgin Mary, Catholic, if you're whatever, you deny those gods and you acknowledge the God of Israel. You see, the king of the Jews, who is 
Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. You see, He's the one who will unite. He's also the one who will divide and who does divide. The Prince of Peace brings division. He came with a sword. So the Six-Day War happened, you know, and they could, militarily speaking, Israel, they could have taken it. They could have taken the Temple Mount, controlled the Temple Mount, constructed the, ta- the, 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 the temple. They could have done that in accordance to the flesh. They could have done that. They had to, in their military means to do it. But it was the priest who says, no, we have blood on our hands. Just like we see here in, in, in verse 16, whoever is in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or the bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And this, the, the priest said, we're unclean. We can't do this. We can't do this. And so we see here in verse 17, and for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer, burnt for purification from sin, and running water or alive water, living water, shall be put on them in a vessel. See? In verse 18, a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who was touched, who has who touched a bone. The slain, the dead, or a grave. You see, it's the process of unclean to clean. Unclean to clean. You see? Or impure to pure. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. This is, as New Covenant believers, it's the non-carnal unto the carnal. And when Paul says, you who are spiritual... Restore a person. You who are spiritual translates as you who are non-carnal. And you see why the Lord speaks about the making the distinction between the carnal and the, the, the spiritual. While Paul, why Paul goes through great lengths teaching about walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit, making the distinction, is to teach us, to teach you, to teach me. So that we can walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh and become more spiritual, become less carnal. And in so doing, we are biblically able, qualified to help people in their own transitions from unclean to clean. Because remember, the whole purpose, Old Testament and New Testament, is for people to be right with God. The unclean cannot clean. The unclean cannot clean. Only the clean can. Only the clean can make it clean. I mean, as servants of the Lord. Not, you know, the clean can make clean like it's, it's like, you know, their blood. No. As servants of the Lord, as messengers of the Lord, as friends of God. Only the clean can make it clean. Only the pure can make pure. The unclean, biblically, cannot do it. The unclean, biblically, should never do it. You know why? Because they defile themselves. Have you ever seen somebody, you know, they want to do this ministry? They want to enter into whatever ministry? But they themselves are unclean. They themselves are impure. They might have the best of motives. But they're impure. They might have the best of motives. But they're unclean. 
And then in that state of uncleanliness, in that state of impurity, they go and enter this ministry. And Satan just destroys them, destroys everything. Why? Because they were impure, they were unclean. That's why we have to test this. Number one, because Satan calls people into ministry. You know, it's kind of like a trap. You know, he, he, Satan calls people, he puts people into his service and deception. But he'll also present himself as an angel of light and take an unclean Christian. He, he, we see it in the Old Testament, but we also see it in the New Testament. He'll take a Christian, a baby Christian, emphasis on baby Christians because baby Christians, they haven't rolled around on the mat. Baby Christians don't know this aspect of spiritual warfare. Baby Christians, they cannot. Why? Because they're babies. But with maturity, with learning how to fight, rolling around on the mat, learning how to fight, understanding how to fight, and applicationally fighting, spiritually speaking, they understand, wait a second, this angel of light who presents himself as angel of light, it does not, this angel of light does not align with Holy Scripture. So therefore, what does that mean? It's a satanic attack. It's demonic. That's what the mature do as we test the spirits and understand and know the Word of God. Remember, knowledge is beautiful. It's not the greatest gift, but knowledge is beautiful. So when the angel of light comes and says, Oh, you know what? Thus saith the Lord, He wants to call you into this ministry. But if the person has no wisdom, no knowledge, they don't test the spirits, Understanding that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. They're a baby Christian. They haven't matured. They haven't matriculated. They don't understand the deep things of Scripture. Hook, line, and sinker. Boom. They're going to enter this ministry. And the whole time, this so-called angel of light starts to laugh. Why? Because he's sucking people into something that he knows is going to destroy them. He knows that person is impure. He knows that person is unclean. And he's going to draw them into the unclean with the whole purpose of destruction on that person. Destruction for that person. And that person is deceived and says, oh, yeah, everything looks good. Everything on the outside. It's like, wow, look, this guy's going to help this guy in this, in this uh, whatever ministry. Look, the, this guy, this lady is going to enter this ministry. Look how beautiful it is. On the outside looking in, beautiful. On the outside. But inside, wait a second, that girl's heart is impure. Wait a second, that guy's heart is impure. It's dangerous. Wait a second, that's a baby. And he's going to go on the front lines? That's a baby and she's going to go on the front lines? That person's going to go to, you know, a war zone? That's dangerous for a baby. Because now that baby's going to get killed. Now that baby's going to get slaughtered. Destroyed. And the whole time this angel of light, so-called angel of light, is laughing. Because it's demonic. Only the clean can make clean. Only the pure can make pure. Only. Old Testament and New Testament. You see the priests? In the Old Testament, these priests, when they're pure, they are biblically qualified to make pure. When the priests are pure, the Kohanim and the Levites, when they're pure, they're, they are biblically qualified, Old Testament, you know, uh, uh, legally qualified. You know, I say legally because it's the Old Testament. They are legally qualified to make the people right with God. 
in, in, the, in accordance to the ordinances. It's not just to say, hey, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, sprinkle you with uh, 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 juice. I'm going to sprinkle you with juice and you're okay. You're going to be clean. No, it's in accordance to the word of God. But the same thing in the, in the New Testament as new covenant believers. Only the pure can purify. Only the clean can cleanse. Such as Paul. Such as Timothy. Titus, Eunice and Lois unto their child and grandchild. You see? Uh, Phoebe. Only the pure can purify. As servants. Not they're doing their own purification. No, as servants of the Lord. His purification. Vessels of the Lord. Not vessels of the world. But Satan, he likes to trap. He likes to deceive. That's what he does. With the whole point of destroying, with the whole objective of destruction and death. That's why, you know, if, if you're being, you feel like you're being called into ministry, you feel like you're being called into ministry, you have to test the spirits. You must test the spirits. Because, you know, if you know you're carnal, if you know you're uh, impure, don't do it. It's a trap. Don't do it. If you know you're impure, you know you're carnal, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, I'm being called into ministry. If you're a sex head, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm being called into ministry. And you start ministering to children. You start ministering to men and women. Well, you're impure. And then you're being called into this environment, and in your impurity, you cannot make clean. Biblically, you cannot make clean. No. God's vessels, the vessels that God uses, Old Testament and New Testament, His vessels in His house are clean, are pure. Which is why we're told as New Covenant believers, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. Lay it aside. Put it aside. You see? And so we see here in verse 19 the clean person shall sprinkle the un the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day and on the seventh day he shall purify himself wash his clothes and bathe in water and that evening he shall be clean so very important here the clean need to stay clean you see the clean need to stay clean old testament and new testament this exposure, because remember in verse 19, the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean. So now the clean person is having exposure to the unclean. Now, in this exposure to the unclean, the clean person still needs to purify himself and wash his clothes and bathe in water. And that evening, at that evening, not on the seventh day, not on the next month, not on the next year, that evening shall be clean. So the clean, because of this exposure to the unclean, needs to stay clean. You see? Very important message for us today. You and me. Very important message. That the clean needs to stay clean. Satan knows what he's doing. I'm not advocating the law. But Satan knows exactly what he's doing. Because to him, unclean is good. 
unclean is good to him, to Satan, to his minions, the demons. Unclean is a good thing to them. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and for you and me today, he knows that unclean is a, a stronghold for the demons to Satan. Uncleanliness. It's a stronghold. It's a foothold. Well, don't give him, don't give Satan a foothold. Don't give the demons a foothold. You see, we have to be wise. And not just wise, we have to have this knowledge. And not just knowledge. We have to know how to use the shield. We have to know how to use the sword. We have to wear our breastplate. We have to wear our helmet. These are things that we have to do. And not just hold it like a fashion show. Not just wear it like it's like, oh, look how cool I look. No. To use it. To get the chinks in our armor. To get the dents on our helmet. To get these dents. You know why? Because Satan wants to kill you. The demons want to kill you. They want to destroy you. And when you refuse to let that happen. And stand on the rock of salvation. It's a brutal combat. Brutal, brutal, brutal warfare. And it's a fight. Only the clean can cleanse. Only the pure can purify. But even the pure, even the clean, need to cleanse and purify themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly. You see? Because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord, the water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. See? And Satan laughs. Old Testament, New Testament, Satan laughs. You see? For the clean, for the pure. This fight, this war, it's very brutal. Very, very brutal. You will have no friends. You will have no friends. You will be alone. But it's part of the gig. Verse 21, in closing, it shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and that and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. So remember, the whole purpose of these statutes is for people to be right with God, for people to transition from unclean to clean. Now, I say in closing, but really in closing, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. If you're listening for the first time, you know, you hear these pauses, you hear these slurps, you hear this like, you hear that? What's happening? My voice is pretty messed up. And so I have to drink this, this tea or coffee, but I have to drink something warm. Because it to soothe. So like if if I say turn here and you're like, okay, here I am, like, you know, it's because I'm taking a sip, you know, because it's for my throat. So uh, let's look what happens here in verse uh, chapter uh, Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, Jesus Christ, but Christ came as high priest. High priest. So we see the typology, typology of Jesus Christ as the sacrifice, as the offering. But you also see the typology of Jesus Christ in the priesthood, in the Kohanim, in the Levites, in the priesthood. 
but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves. This is Old Testament, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer. You see what we study here in Numbers 19. The ashes of the heifer, sprinkling, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, for the cleansing or purifying of the flesh. How much more? How much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself without spot to God. How much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience? You see, the inner man, the inner woman, the conscience, the temple, what we studied on Sunday, the temple. Cleanse your conscience from dead works, from dead works to serve the living God. You see how deep now you understand. Like, I mean, we've studied this before, but it's like we see these things in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the red heifer. It's like, okay, I understand, you know, clean to unclean, but how much more in Christ to cleanse? Not the outside, not in accordance to the flesh, not what you see with your eyes. But what you see with spiritual eyes, with eyes of the Spirit, and the cleansing of your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In verse 15, and, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. The first covenant, the covenant that we're learning in the Old Testament. The covenant that we study in accordance to the covenant, in accordance to the law, in accordance to the statutes, in accordance to the ordinances, in accordance to the manner, in accordance to the functionality, in the, in the application of the ordinances, in Exodus, in Numbers, in Leviticus. He is the mediator, in verse 15, the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. All these things that we see in the Old Testament are foreshadowing of the things to come. And here they are. And here we are, a people of the way. God bless you. I love you.